I'd like to take personal privilege in thanking Lois and our choir, not only for today's lovely music, but also for Thursday night's really powerful music during our Tenebrae service, a service of darkness. That, by the way, is an advertisement for next year's. It's really one of the most moving services of the year, and I commend it to you Thursday night, our Tenebrae service of darkness. For Easter is meaningless unless we understand its power over the powers of darkness and death. There is a tradition in the early church, well, going back to the Middle Ages, called Rhesus Pascalis, where the priest or the preacher gets up and tells a joke to begin the sermon. And it's meant to instill in us a sense that really Easter is God's ultimate April Fool's joke, the reversal of what we expect, bringing light out of darkness and life out of death. And so to follow with that tradition, I think this is probably my fourth or fifth year of doing it, a couple of jokes. So a woman had twins, and she and her husband, for reasons I don't know, had to give them up for adoption. One of them, the girl, goes to a family in Egypt, and the boy is sent to a family in Spain. Years later, Juan, who is what his name has been called in Spain, and Amal, who is her name in Egypt, decide to send a picture to uh, their birth mom. Uh, Amal, for some reason, doesn't get it in the mail, but Juan gets his picture there. And so when she opens, the birth mom opens the picture, she sees this picture of, a, of, of Juan, and she's just overcome with, with gratitude and thanksgiving, but she said to her husband, I only wish that Amal had sent her picture too. And her husband responds, but they're twins. If you've seen Juan, you've seen them all. (laughs) I had a better joke, but it just wouldn't work in this setting. There's a priest and a rabbi and a vicar who walk into the bar, and the bartender looks up and says, what is this, some kind of joke? That's really pretty funny when you think about it. And a three-legged dog walks into a saloon in the Old West. He slides up to the bartender and announces, I'm looking for the man who killed my Paul. Three-legged Paul. Settle down. In the earliest gospel account, Mark's gospel, he doesn't wait for Jesus to be born and to go through all of the Stories and Luke can't wait to get the story out. So he has Jesus enter the scene at full adult stage and begin to proclaim the good news of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, turn around and see it. Believe the good news. And there's this like breathlessness about Mark's gospel all the way through, even including this resurrection story. It comes to us from the last chapter in Mark, verses 1 through 8. May God open up to us an understanding of this word 
When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You were looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. Now go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. That's where they started from, into the world. Going ahead of you into the world in Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you before. So instead they went out, fled the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. End of book, end of chapter. That's how Mark ends his book, completely open-ended. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid, dot, dot, dot. The most curious thing I have learned in my 30-some years in ministry is Jesus' refusal to stay put. Just when I think I'm starting to figure it out, I'm getting my theology uh, uh, to a place I can live with it. I can understand the biblical text in a new way. I feel like I've got a handle on it. Uh, The whole way of running church, I feel like I've finally got enough experience to know how to to do that. And, and, And the whole spiritual discipline thing. Finally, I've got it, and all of a sudden, whoosh! He disappears. He skedaddled. It's taken me a while, but I can figure out now that if we want to worship him, if we want to follow him, we must be willing to relocate. There's no settling when it comes to Jesus. If Easter tells us anything, it is just this. That's why I picked the picture on the front of your bulletin today. It's a picture of an amaryllis. Anita bought it at Costco. It was three stalks when she bought it. There were no flowers on it. Soon it grew flowers, one, two, three. It grew other sprouts off the stalks, more flowers, more buds. There were over 40 flowers at one time on this amaryllis. I'm used to seeing two or three or four. They wouldn't stop. They just kept producing and growing and flowering for two months. Which is why I put it on the bulletin and why we have butterflies for our symbol today to signify, to symbolize the amazing power of God to bring life to bear, to help us flourish, flower in the full sense of the way we were intended, the way we were created to become a butterfly, even though it's a process. 
Have you noticed how the powers of darkness want us to think that death settles things? It's all in this story. You can just hear those powers, the Roman powers, the religious powers. That rabble-rouser, somebody needs to stop him. He's stirring up trouble. He's going to those people who are outcast. He's dealing with lepers, women, and children. He's dealing with the drunks. He's healing them. He's telling them that they're part of God's love and kingdom. We can't have that. He's threatening the whole institutional uh, status of things. Ah, I've got it. A conspiracy. Blasphemy must be the charge. It's a capital offense. Yes, now the death penalty. Get in touch with the Roman governor and get him on board too. Settle down. Good Friday. They nail him to a cross. After they know he's dead, they rip him off and hand him to some women to wrap him up and put him in a tomb and roll a big old stone over it to make sure that it stays settled. Even his disciples knew it. Darkness had settled it. They ran. They abandoned him. They hold up in some room somewhere, and even the women disciples who saw from a distance but not quite as far, they needed to settle it too. And so being the Sabbath, they had to leave and worship on the Sabbath only to come back the day after to anoint his body for death and to see him for the last time. They had fallen under the powers of darkness to settle. They hoped someone would be there for the stone to be rolled back, and when they got there, it was. And tentatively, they go into this tomb, and there's this man dressed in white, no Jesus. Scared to death, he says to them, don't be afraid, you're looking for Jesus. Not here. The one that was crucified late, not not here. He's been raised. Where is he? Not here. He's out there. He goes before you to Galilee, just like he told you all along. There he will meet you. So go back and tell the disciples, women, witnesses, that he has been raised and he's waiting for you to go to Galilee. But you see, that's way too unsettling. And so the women instead run out of the tomb in terror and say nothing to anyone. The powers of darkness say, good job. Settled. It's settled. In the kingdom of God, death does not have the last word. In the kingdom of God, death and darkness do not settle anything. Which is why the powers of darkness work so hard to bring things back into stasis. They don't like things that are disrupted, out of balance. They want to bring it back into equilibrium, into stasis. They don't like the foundations to be threatened. They don't like the institutions of power to be undermined, even though they might be built on the backs of poor people. So they crucified him. 
Or they hired an assassin, James Earl Ray, to silence Martin Luther King because he was undermining the foundations of racism and civil rights. Or they hire Nathram Godsey to quietly kill Mahatma Gandhi because he was undermining the foundations of India and the caste system. Or they hire the Taliban to shoot Mahala just as Caiaphas and Pilate plotted to kill Jesus because they threatened the foundations. The powers of darkness want us to think that they have the last word and that they settle things. Easter says no. After the execution, the victim's family whose child had been murdered finally decide that they can bury their hurt and let their hearts mend. After all these years, it's settled. The state and the courts don't have to deal with it anymore. No more appeals, no more resources spent. It's over, settled. Darkness and death relax again. Another win for the team. Only it's not over. Revenge never settles anything. The hurt will not go away. There's a mother I know. I just heard a friend of mine whose 24-year-old son died of an overdose. It was Wednesday. They found him in a field with needles all around him. He had been struggling with addiction for 10 years since he was 14. Good people around her have told her, well, at least he's no longer struggling. At least now he's in peace. Now you don't have to stay up night after night worried to death about him. At least he doesn't have to face the torture anymore. Things will settle down, they say. And the powers of darkness and death want us to believe they will, but you know, that mother knows otherwise, that his death has not settled anything. It has only stirred things up. Her own sense of inability to fix them, her own sense of guilt, even though it, it's for not, no legitimate reasons, her anger at God for not doing anything, she's way stirred up. She's so stirred up that, in fact, after many, many months, after the pain has lessened some, she starts a ministry in her town and begins working for addicted youth. Do you know in the Bible that the Greek word for settle is the word stasis? It means to bring things back into rest, into equilibrium, to keep things at their set point, Institutions of power, love, stasis, status quo, stay dead. In medicine, the word stasis means that the fluids no longer flow, the blood is no longer flowing, which means that it's death. In fact, the best definition of hell, I think, comes from the Dante's Inferno and the ninth level of hell, the deepest level of hell, is not a raging fire, but a frozen lake in which Lucifer is stuck. He has six wings like the seraphim, but he's fallen. He can't move in his frozen state, and neither can anything else. It's stasis. Hell has already frozen over. I know a man who has been in stasis since he was born, I think. 
afraid of any change in his life. He is frozen in place and unmoving. He might as well be a statue. Hasn't changed his mind in 60 years. The same outlook on life, the same racial biases, the same fear of traveling or leaving home. Never reads or watches anything that might contradict or question his beliefs. Just watches the news that confirms what he already knows so that he can stay in stasis, which is why Mark's story this morning of the first Easter event is so full of terror and fear because it shakes our stasis to the foundations. Everything now is at risk. In fact, in Matthew's story, there are two earthquakes that happen. One, when Jesus is crucified, the whole world shakes. And when the stone is rolled away from the tomb, the earthquake causes it to move. Stasis serves a purpose. It's like, okay, it's like gravity. It keeps us from just floating off into never, never land. But it only needs to be a small amount of power Otherwise, we're just forced down deeper and deeper into the ground. The powers of darkness and death want us to think that death settles things. But God will not let that happen, for God has the last word. And the last word of God is this, not stasis, but anastasis. Anastasis is the Greek word that the Bible uses for the word resurrection. Raised up, anastasis against Anna, against stasis, over stasis. Anastasis is resurrection. Easter breaks in and settles, unsettles all the ways of darkness and death and the ways that we are imprisoned. He is risen. Even the grave cannot hold him. And this, you see, is our greatest hope. Because it's not dependent on us but of the empowering presence of God's resurrecting gift, anastasis. The powers of darkness can't do anything, anything in the face of it. Friends, the good news is that Jesus will not settle. Jesus is on the move. Jesus is always on the move. And churches and people and institutions that are not willing to change and to follow Jesus back out there where Jesus is going will end up in dismal stasis. He is on the move out there where people are hurting and needy. He is on the move out there where we work and where we play, where we worship, yes, where we're with families. He's on the move out there in Galilee, always going before us. And the, and the angel says to us to follow him. He told us he's going to follow him back out into the world. He's on the move out there that calls our institutional status quo into question. No more same old, same old. No more doing it like we've always done it. We're a church that's moving from the main line to the sideline. Why? Stasis. He's on the move out there telling us to do something new and creative out in the world. What if, for instance, we had a, we had a coffee shop in one of those rooms or, or buildings right 
just down the block in five points. We could say holy grounds too or sip and serve or something. And, and in that we just offer coffee and we offer prayer and we, and we offer ourselves in service. You see, because all those people over there, they're looking at this church and you know what word comes to mind? Stasis. They see this giant fortress, strong, unmoving. But the resurrected power of Christ tells us if we want to follow him, we cannot stay here. We must move. This is our hope. He is not here. Anastasis, go tell the good news. He goes before us into the world. Follow him, and we too will be turned into anastasis with Jesus.